So we are continuing the series that we uh, are now winding down. We've been in this series now for the last month. This is week five uh, as we are studying our way through chapter by chapter the book of First Timothy. And this, again, this is a letter is written by Paul, just like many of the New Testament uh, books are letters that were originally written to, to large groups of people or specific people, and there's different authors that wrote these different letters as well. Again, Paul wrote for Timothy. He wrote um, over half of the New Testament, but there are many other letters, again, that were written by other people. Um, and, but some of Paul's letters, again, were addressed to, to areas or large groups of people or churches. Um, just most of them, you know, those are named for the areas that are the churches they were sent to, like Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians, right? Those are towns that those were sent to. Uh, but then also other of his letters were sent to specific people. And, and this one, as well as 2 Timothy, right? He sent a couple letters to Timothy. But Timothy um, was... Paul's true son in the faith. And we see that in these first two verses, the intro to the letter, right? Where he says, this letter is from Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, appointed by the command of our Savior in Christ Jesus, who gives us hope. And I'm writing to Timothy, my true son in the faith. May God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord give you grace, mercy, and peace. Again, we see here that obviously Paul identifies who he is and also who Timothy is and, and, and why he is, is sending him this advice because now t- the, the baton of leadership has been passed from Paul to Timothy and Timothy has been appointed to lead a church in the town of Ephesus. This is the same town that the book of Ephesians was sent to, the same church. Hey, but here, this one was again specifically sent to Timothy and who is it? Paul's true son of the faith is what he says. And as we've been working our way through this letter, we've, we've been learning and seeing right, that every believer should have spiritual children. Right? That, that is truly the goal of our faith. And we look at the great commission that Jesus gave the church and, and to the apostles and to all that would, that, would, that would learn and follow Jesus eventually, right, is that we are supposed to go into all nations to share the gospel of Jesus, first and foremost. Right, and share it to everyone. Right, that those again can believe that Jesus Christ was the true Son of God, that He was sent to this earth, He lived a sinless life, right? He died on the cross, rose again on the third day, conquering sin and death, so that we can be saved. Right, and the way we are saved again is by receiving Him as our Savior, inviting Him into our life, accepting that grace and forgiveness as we confess our sins and be, be cleansed of that and invite Him into our life. And, and, and when we invite Him in, that's when we join the journey of faith. And we start a new journey, right? A journey moving towards Christ, about being more like Christ tomorrow than we are today. And and again, that's the first thing, right, of the church is to spread that gospel to everyone that needs it. And that's everyone, right? To all nations, to the whole world. And we see that first part, but is again, to, to be a follower of Jesus. But then, like I said, we start that new journey when we receive Christ our Savior. We start down this transformation process. Right, of becoming a fully devoted disciple of Jesus. Right, of becoming more like Christ tomorrow than we are today. We take that one step forward every day in our faith. Right, and, and again, not just to be a disciple myself, but also to help other people be disciples. Right, which again starts with sharing the gospel message, but then also walking with them as they grow in their faith and as they learn and as they're transformed by the power of Christ. And again, that's the job of every believer, of every disciple, is to be a disciple that helps make other disciples. 
And every believer should have spiritual children. And we also see, again, from these opening verses, that the power of this relationship comes from God. It's not something that, that I have to make up or that there's a burden that I carry on my own shoulders. Right? Just as we see, right? I mean, Paul tells Timothy that, that God is the one that gives hope, right? That he gives us grace, mercy, and peace. And, and then it's by his power, right, that these relationships are transforming. It's nothing that we have to make up our, ourselves or fabricate, but we just literally just need to grow in our own faith and help someone else do the same as we walk side by side through that journey. And, and we also see here that, that we, both people, the spiritual parent and the spiritual child, will both consume from this relationship. Right? Because we know that, as we talked about, our vision and our strategy, right, that we start out consuming the things of God, and that's where our journey starts, but we move towards contributing. But when we, when we serve and we grow, when we walk with those that are younger than us in the faith and, and we help them along, that, that we also can't stop consuming. We need to continue to learn and grow in our own faith as well. Because the truth is, you can't lead anybody somewhere you haven't been yourself. Right? And if, if we just contribute and don't consume, then we will end up empty and burn out. But both people will now consume from this partnership. And then we, we dove deeper into to the letters we've gone through week by week, chapter by chapter. And again, the rest of chapter one, we learned some very practical advice on how to be a spiritual parent and, and how we oftentimes mess it up. And then in week two, as we looked at, at chapter two, we continued to see more practical advice given to Timothy on how to make God smile as a disciple. And in week three, we saw, um, as Paul addressed some different church structure issues and, and Christian maturity and how every believer needs to mature in their faith and, and move off of spiritual milk to spiritual depth and spiritual meat, that we all need to move towards Christian maturity. And then last week in chapter four, right, we saw uh, how the letter just turns a corner and, and where Paul gives more specific advice to Timothy himself. And, and we end up last week at the, the most quoted verse of the entire letter in, in 1 Timothy 4.12, right, where he tells him to not be discouraged or don't let others look down on you because you are young, but be an example to the believers. Right, as he called out these, these five areas of his life and to say, again, as I said last week, just that, that my summary of that verse, right, is, is just ignore the trash talk and prove it on the field, Timothy. And, and, and as, as we have studied these different parts, we now find ourselves to chapter 5 this morning. And, and here, um, Paul, again, continues to give some very personal advice to Timothy and addressing some very specific situations. But, but ultimately, this chapter in chapter 5 can be summed up right, as respect people, but also lead well, Timothy. Right? And there's a balance between respecting people and leading well and, and, and taking a stand for, for what you need to take a stand for. So we're going to dive into the text this morning at 1 Timothy chapter 5. So if you have your Bible with you, I invite you to open with me to 1 Timothy. And we're going to read from chapter 5. If you don't have your own Bible and you're here with us in person, there are Bibles provided for you in the seats you're welcome to use. And you'll notice on the outline is the page number where you can find this passage in those Bibles. Uh, and if you're with us online, um, please hopefully you have your Bible next to you. You can open it up uh, so to 1 Timothy chapter 5. And we're going to uh, start at verse 1, where it says, Never speak harshly to an older man, but appeal to him respectfully as you would to your own father. Talk to a younger 
Talk, talk to younger men as you would to your own brothers. Treat older women as you would your mother and treat younger women with all purity as you would your own sisters. Take care of any widow who has no one else to care for her. But if she has children or grandchildren, their first responsibility is to show godliness at home and repay their parents for taking care of them. This is something that pleases God. Now a true widow, a woman who is truly alone in the world, has placed her hope in God. She prays night and day asking God for his help. But the widow who lives only for pleasure is spiritually dead even while she lives. Give these instructions to the church so that no one will be open to criticism. But those who won't care for their relatives, especially those in their own household, have denied the true faith. And such people are worse than unbelievers. Now we're going to pause right there. We're going to jump in because here he goes in from verse 9 onto the rest of this section to 9 through 16, and he goes into some very specific details about this ministry and about caring for widows, and we're, we're going to get there here in a second. But I, I want to pause there because I first want to focus on the first two verses, okay, which is where he again describes how we're supposed to interact intergenerationally, right? He addresses older men and younger men and older women and younger women. And, and he says to, to, uh, to treat them with respect, right? To, to, to treat them as you would your mother or your father or your brothers and sisters. And, and I don't know about you, but when I read that advice, I'm thinking that is great advice if you like your family members. Again, I think back to my childhood and think about how I treated my sister, and I'm not really sure that that's how I should be treating the women in the church. All right, and again, if you have siblings, you understand that, don't you? Especially if you're a parent and you look at how your kids interact together, and you're like, Man, I know you're good people. Why do you talk to each other like that? Right? Who taught you to, oh, wait, maybe I taught, oh, I hope I didn't teach you to, right? I, I mean, we, we see that in our kids and their siblings, right? And again, to say that is, is there have been times, again, in my life when I've observed, right, that, that, again, kids do not talk respectfully to their parents. Right? And, and again, we see that, again, this is really good advice if your earthly family are respectful to each other, but, but if they're not, then maybe this isn't such good advice. Right, but I think he does set the standard, though, for, for, again, not just the way we should treat each other in the church, but also how our families should function, right? and even just how our culture should function. I think when we look at this and, and this concept that he's teaching here, we just realize and take a step back that the bigger concept that we need to learn, and I believe Paul is teaching through these verses, is that how we treat people really matters. How we treat people really matters. And the truth is, whether there is sibling, right, or a stranger, how you are treated by somebody you always remember. Right, in fact, even when thinking about, even in the business world, right, and, and as a customer, you go into a store or, or you're serviced, right, by a trade or whatever it might be, right, I, I mean, there's, there's two things that go into the review, right, of whether we're going to use that business again, isn't it? One is the product or service they provide, Right? And the other part of it, sometimes the bigger part of it, is how we were treated. Because the truth is, how we treat people really matters. Right? And, and that has not changed for over thousands of years. That's, that, that's, that's ingrained in who we are, right? That, that how we treat people really matters. And yet, it's, it's even more so important within the church and 
Again, as, as Paul is, is telling Timothy is, uh, to, to lead here, lead this church, lead them well, but, but don't forget that you need to be respectful. But that the church needs to interact with each other in a respectful way. Because how you treat people really matters. And I'll say, you know, I've heard many people say to me as a pastor, like, you know, it always feels like you're, you're just, you're preaching right to me that, you know, that you had this, this idea, you know, and that you must have known what was going on in my life as you were preparing your sermon. And, you know, and I get, I heard that a lot. And again, I, I don't, you know, I'm not, I don't listen into your house or, you know, anything um, to, to figure that out. But, but I say sometimes, again, it feels that way. And, and I will tell you this week and, and my studying of this text and, and my preparation, normal prep routine I go through every week in, in preparing these sermons was different this week because I felt like this text was for me this week. And I'll tell you, there are times, again, I'm going through my regular routine and studying and just immersing myself in the text for the week. And, and I, I, literally, I got here this morning, I was telling Ben this morning, I was like, this week was weird. Right, because I sit down to write and to work on it, and I read the text, and, and I was just, God could continue to convict me over and over and over again, and, and tell me, hey, you need to call this person. Hey, you need to go, you need to just stop and pray. And literally, at, at, at the Tuesday afternoon, I, was, I drove for launch pad, and I was on the way back. It was four o'clock in the afternoon, and at that point, I had hardly any of my outline was done, and I, there was so much work I felt behind, and we were coming back and getting back here on that day, and I sat down at my desk, and I read the text again, and I'm like, Lord, what, what do I need to do? And, and I just felt God says, you need to just get up and pray through this building and pray. I was like, but God, I got an outline to make. I got I to stay on task. I gotta, and he's like, no. You just, and I, literally, I spent the next half an hour walking through this facility. Pray. Right? And, and as it did that, and you get the, I literally got here to work Wednesday morning. It was like, Lord, I'm supposed to have this done to give to the office. But I just, Lord, help me. Right? And by that point, right, God's like, okay, now, now we can get down to it, Brian. Right? And to say, again, I don't, I don't know where you're at in your life, but I'll say this, I needed this text this week. Right? And when we think about the power of God's word and about the, the things that God needs us to do, again, it's not just about learning the, the, the text, right? It's, it's about living it in our life. And I think as we realize that, right, just how we treat people really matters. In fact, we, we, we see this, and we looked at it a couple weeks ago in, in chapter 3, and I call it this verse even then, but again, this was just continuing on my heart throughout this last week, right? This verse out of chapter 3. And he says that this is the church of the living God, which is the pillar and foundation of the truth. And again, I said it in that sermon, and I was drawn back to that this week, is, is that really truly descriptive of the church? Is that the way that not just our church, Oregon Trail is, but is that what the way that the church is? Right? Is, is it the pillar and the foundation of truth in our world? Is that the way that the, tr- that the world views the church? And I think we all kind of know if we truly sit down and ask that question, the truth is that's not how the world views the church. In fact, the, as I look at this, I literally just got on my computer and I opened up Google. Okay, and if, if you use Google, you know that when you start to type something into it, 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 it tries to fill in for you what it thinks you're, you're asking. 
And the way that it does it, the algorithm, the way that it works on Google, is it starts to put in the most popular searches based on, on the phrase you're starting to type. And to do that, again, you just, now to say it, sometimes it's helpful, sometimes it goes in a complete misdirection, but, but, but also to say is that uh, I went on my computer on Google and I typed in the phrase, why is the church so? And then it filled in the most popular searches on the rest of that phrase. And look, look what comes up. Why is the church so important? Is the first one. That's a really good question. Now again, that one could go positively or negatively, couldn't it? Right? It could be like, why is the church so important? Why do I need to go? But it also could be like, why does the church even in my life? Right? But then look at the next three. Why is the church so divided? Why is the church so corrupt? Why is the church so powerless today? And I don't know about you, but I look at that and that breaks my heart. Right, I think, are we, gonna, are, we, are we truly the pillar foundation of truth that we're supposed to be, right? That, that Paul is telling Timothy, like, Timothy, it's so important that you lead well because, and how you treat people really matters and because this is what the church is supposed to do. And, and you take that, and again, according to the most popular searches in Google, that we are failing to reach the unbelieving world. But I think I, as we, we see that and realize that, Right, we, we suddenly, again, look at, at what does Paul address here and, and to Timothy and not just to the church at Ephesus, but what do we need to learn as the church today in 2020? I mean, there are some very important lessons right, for us to be able to truly live up to, to what God needs us to be as the church. And we see that through the letter and as we read through the rest of it. And again, I know we haven't read the rest of the text yet. And, but again, if, if you've read ahead to know that, that Paul addresses some very serious character issues in the rest of this chapter. In fact, in, in verse 13, he addresses malicious gossip. In verse 19, he uses false accusations. In verse 22, he talks about hasty decisions. In verse 24, he addresses very irresponsible behavior within the church. And, and I sit there and think about all of those things he addresses even in this chapter and wonder how much is those behavior and character issues affecting this. Right? And, and, and as you see that, again, I, I, through this week, just felt convicted. Again, realize that these are issues of character and behavior. These are not issues about theology, right, or about what we know about God. This is about how we are living our lives of faith. Right, and we see here that Paul then goes into, as he addresses these first few about how we treat people and how it really matters, we see that, that again, he, he moves into these next verses, right, in verses 3 through 16, and, and Paul addresses how the church helps widows. Now to say, this is obviously speaking to a very specific issue and specific thing that was going on within this church in Ephesus. Hey, but again, I believe that what he says about this program, this, this system within the church of helping widows, uh, has a lot for us to learn about every ministry in the church. Again, the main issue at hand here as he addresses this in these following verses. 
okay, is what is the church's role in caring for and providing widows? Again, it seems, based on the wording and the way that Paul addresses the, the, the situations and, and the issues, that there is already an existing program happening within the church. Okay, he's not telling the church, hey, you need to take care of widows. It's, it, again, the church is already doing that, but, but yet there are, are issues within this program that, that need to be addressed. Okay, he says it's not that you need to start this program, but you, you need to restructure it, Timothy, because it's not going well. And again, we must remember the context, right, which we, again, has been well established earlier in the, in the letters and the, the, the preceding chapters, Right? And that, again, the, the context is that he, he is addressing a very patriarchal society, right? meaning that the roles of men right, run, run the, the culture. And again, that's the way it was, as we know that that's the context in which this comes from. Okay, with that said, right, he, he gets to this, this very bold statement in verse 8. Right? He's addressing this program about caring for widows, where he says, but those who who won't care for their relatives, especially those in their own household, have denied the true faith, and such people are worse than unbelievers. Now that statement has teeth, doesn't it? Again, I wonder what he really means. I wish he was more clear. I mean, it's very real, isn't it? It's very convicting. And I will tell you, there's, you know, coming through this, I told you, I got convicted many times this week, right, in my own life. And I'll tell you, one of those phone calls I made was to my 95-year-old grandfather. Right, because, I mean, I call him, but not enough. Right, and just realizing, thinking about it, and I called him, I'm like, wow. And literally, the first thing he says to me, Brian, it's been a long time since I've heard from you. And I'm like, I'm sorry. Right, as we think about this, this again feels like a very harsh statement, right? But it is one that is reiterating the earlier standards about managing our own household well, right? Before taking on leadership roles within the church, right? And, and when we think about these and think about the issues again that Paul addresses here within the text, right? The, the truth is that we need to honestly evaluate what is truly the church's job. Because it's very easy, again, for us to sit back sometimes and be like, man, the church should be doing that. Right? When maybe the reality is I should be doing that. We need to honestly evaluate what what is the role of the church. And again, notice Paul is not saying that these widows are on their own, that they should not be cared for. Right? He's saying, no, they absolutely need to be cared for, but he also isn't saying that the church has no role in the issue. He's saying, Timothy, the, the church does have a role, right? and these women need to be cared for, but there are definitely some issues happening that you need to address, Timothy, because it's not working. It's not going well. Again, the truth is, right, I feel that Paul is trying to get Timothy to realize is that this, this ministry, this program of caring for widows is distracting your church from its real mission. It, it is getting 
full of these character issues and through these other issues, right? That because of this, it's, it's draining the church and, and that they're, you're distracted by what's going on in this program to where the, the, the mission, the real mission of your church of becoming disciples and making other disciples is, is suffering because of these unaddressed issues within this ministry. Again, the truth is that we can get bogged down doing so many good things like caring for widows that we neglect or even half do the most important things. Again, what is the mission of the church? To spread the gospel and to make disciples of Jesus that help make other disciples, right? To be the foundation and the pillar of truth within the culture. And we can get distracted by doing good things and forget the main point. Hey, I'll tell you just this example that just has recently happened just even within our own church. Hey, is it, again, throughout the years, we've had, again, it's a good, good thing about helping our community, feeding our community, those that, that are, are food poor. We've had different programs that have been started throughout, again, and, and our meals, you know, within our church. And again, what we, we still do, which I believe is the proper thing for our church to do, right, that is the role of church, is that we provide meals for people when they go through surgeries or struggles or have things going on during, after funeral or something like that, right? They, again, we have a, a team of people that provide those, and, and great, right? Like, we should be doing that. But the other side of that is that we've had, you know, meals here for people, you know, that come through in our community, whether we have meal boxes ready for them or meals in the freezer to get a hand out to them or those kinds of things. And again, we've, we've tried, even in my five and a half years of being here, we've, we've tried this many times. And again, this is, a, this is a good thing and something that we need, should be doing, right? And yet, again, within a, literally just several months ago now, uh, again, just another member of the church was kind of convicted of this. is like, man, we should be helping the hungry in our community. I'm like, exactly right. And he came and asked, like, what should we do? And I'm like, well, you know what? I, what I think we really should do is we should partner with uh, the organizations in our community that are effectively feeding the hungry. Right? Because we've tried to do it ourselves. And the reality is, right, that, that we can't advertise enough. We can't get it out. That we don't have the personnel. We don't have the supply. You know, why, why don't we just, we, but we do have people Right, so why, why don't we just let them, uh, those organizations, handle the logistics of finding food and getting donations and get advertising and getting people that need it to come, and why don't we just provide help? Right, which, is, which is when we started our, our ongoing relationship with the Middleton Food Pantry. Right, and say, hey, let's, let's, let's remember what the, ro- the real job of the church is and let's not get distracted by all those logistics. Right, but let's partner with an organization that is already making a dent, right? And can, can we be a catalyst to that organization, right, to better serve our community? And, and again, that's, that's turned into a great thing. And again, thinking of that, and like as, as we now are helping Middleton Food Pantry in lots of ways, and, and again, to say, like, again, there's been teas of our church and go through that. And again, our goal here, right, is never to, to make the Middleton Food Pantry an Oregon Trail program, right? That, that's not our goal, right? Our, our goal is to help our community. Right, because that is what the church is supposed to do. That is our mission. Right? We'll let the other organizations take care of the logistics of getting food and advertising and, and having it available and all those kind of things. We'll just help them. Again, we can get so distracted sometimes of going all in on something where, and we can, we can forget, again, what is the real mission of the church. 
Again, Paul advises here uh, through these, these, these following verses, right, that again, even these widows that are cared for, that, that end up on the list of the church that need to go through that, right, again, he's telling Timothy, hey, you need to, you need to get some people off that list. There, there are people on that list that are being cared for the church that shouldn't be on that list. And that's part of what's really causing the issues. Right? But even those that are supposed to be on the list, they, it's not a free ride. They're, they, they're supposed to be contributing to the church. I mean, they're supposed to come around as the church family comes around them when they have no other family, right? Then, but they, again, are also a part of the family, and they're a working member of the family. Right? Which leads to the next thing that we need to learn, and that is the fact that we need to fulfill whatever God leads me to do. Again, if God's leading, you know, raising Again, raising up people to run the, the, the widow ministry, then, then they need to step up and to do that. Right? If, again, if, if God's leading you to, to, to lead something, right, then, then will you be faithful to that? Again, as we again, look about our strategy and our five phases of the faith journey, and, right, we start with attend, right, and then we move to growing and, and to serving, and then the, the next step is to lead. And to say, again, if, if you continue to work through those steps and, and move forward in your journey, again, God will show you where you need to lead. Again, are you going to fulfill what God tells you to do? Yeah, there's this pretty popular song, and they play it on KTSY and on the Christian radio stations, but, uh, you know, it's, it's a Stephen Curtis Chapman song. And it just talks about, you know, it kind of starts out and saying, like, Lord, you should do something about that. And then the the chorus is, I did, I created you. And God's like, I already did what I, what I needed to do to meet that need. I, I created you, so step up. Right? And when we think about, again, this, this journey, right? this journey leads us towards leading and towards a mentoring. Right? And to say again, what, what, and maybe you're not there, maybe you're not ready to lead, which means that God's not asking you to do that. But if that's where you are in your journey, you know, we're going to continue to mature, then we need to, to lead where God leads us and tells us to lead. Again, wherever you're at on your journey is, is fine. If you're still in consume and you're just attending right, and just need to jump in a small group, or get into, then there's nothing wrong with that. You be there and you be faithful to that phase of your faith. Right? But if, you're, if God's asking you to lead or to serve, then we need to fulfill what he's asking us to do. Again, to serve and to lead in a ministry. Again, this might be in our church and it might not be in our church, but the truth is that anything that you do can be a ministry if it brings glory to God. Right? And just as he's already saying and addressing in this, that starts with your own family and your own relatives. Right? And when you lead that family well, right, then, you can, then God can use you in other ways, in bigger ways. In fact, we see Jesus teaches us this concept in Luke 16, verse 10, right, where Jesus says, if you are faithful in little things, you will be faithful in large ones. And if you are dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. Again, if God's leading you to step up at a certain place or to do something in it, it's probably a small thing. And again, sometimes, again, I've done that in my own faith journey, right? I've sat back, I'm like, Lord, why won't you, why, why won't you put me in that position? Why won't you, you know, give me, help me to lead a church of thousands? And God's like, oh, are you, are you faithful in what I put in front of you right now, right? Because again, just 
you know, bigger and flashy is not always what God wants for you. In fact, he's going he's gonna to test you first. I say, are you going to be faithful with and bloom where you're planted? Right? And if you are, right, then I will give you more. You've got to prove yourself. I mean, this is the concept, right, that Jesus taught. In fact, it's the same concept that Paul continues to tell Timothy in multiple places within the letter, right? Be careful on appointing leaders, Timothy. Make sure that they've been faithful in small things before you give them bigger roles. Right? Don't put a young believer into a high leadership position in the church. Be very careful, Timothy. In fact, he addresses it once again in chapter 5. It's, it's in this next section of text, and which, um, again, is, is where we are. Right, verses 17 through 6, 2. And again, I'm going into, we're going a little bit into chapter 6, because that's kind of where the section ends in, in the chapter. So we're going to pick up here in 1 Timothy chapter 5, picking up at verse 17. It says, elders who do their work well should be respected and paid well especially those who work hard at both preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you must not muzzle an ox to keep it from eating as it treads out the grain. And in another place, those who work deserve their pay. Do not listen to an accusation against an elder unless it's confirmed by two or three witnesses. Those who sin should be reprimanded in front of the whole church, and this will serve as a strong warning to others. I solemnly command you in the presence of God and in Christ Jesus and the highest angels to obey these instructions without taking sides or showing favoritism to anyone. Never be in a hurry about appointing a church leader. Do not share in the sins of others and keep yourself pure. Don't drink only water. You ought to drink a little wine for the sake of your stomach because you are sick so often. And remember, the sins of some people are obvious, leading them to certain judgment. But there are others whose sins will not be revealed until later. And in the same way, the good deeds of some people are obvious and the good deeds done in secret will someday come to light. All slaves should show full respect to their masters so they will not bring shame on the name of God and his teaching. And if the masters are believers, that is no excuse for being disrespectful. Those slaves should work all the harder because their efforts are helping other believers who are well-loved. Now again, we read this text and this section again, this is a kind of a hodgepodge of advice for Timothy. And you can see again, he's, he's speaking very directly to Timothy. Okay, once again, just like it feels in, in the section about the, the serving widows and that program, it feels like that Paul is speaking to some, very spe- some specific situations using very broad language. Right, however, right, he does give this very clear charge to Timothy to exercise his leadership and to ma- maintain proper structure within the church. We see that again in verse 21. This is a very strong statement, right? He says, I solemnly command you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus and the highest angels to obey these instructions without taking sides or showing favoritism to anyone. You think Paul is serious about this? He's like, Timothy, you cannot ignore this. It is that important. Right? You need to address these issues. Again, he's telling him, he's like, Timothy, you need to lead well with everything you see. Lead well. Hey, lead well with everything you see, Timothy. Don't be timid. Don't let other people look down on you, but you need to step up and address what needs to be addressed. 
He says, stay true to how God's leading you. Again, the pressure and the stress of leadership can be overwhelming. It sometimes it feels like a huge task. And, and you remember, this has already been weighted with uh, how you treat people matter, right? And be respectful to those in the church. And again, he said, Timothy, this is a balance that you need to take, but you need to address issues that you see need to be addressed because you are the leader, Timothy. So step up. Don't be timid. Don't be afraid. Do it. Again, we understand the pressure and stress of leadership and, and how overwhelming that can be. And I will tell you, every leader in our world right now feels extra stress because of the worldwide pandemic. Knowing that no matter what decision they make for their business or their organization or their church or whatever it might be, or even their own family, that they're going to get criticized. And the pressure and the stress of leadership is very real. Again, here again, Paul is, is telling Timothy, just rise above it, Timothy. Lead well in everything that you see. Right, again, we even see this here in verse 23 where he tells Timothy to drink a little wine because right, he says you're sick all the time. And again, I tell you, this is a verse that, that many people have stumbled over, especially those that really want to say that, that Christians should never drink alcohol. And, but, yeah, but, and again, and to say that's kind of a different conversation, but, but to say that is, is, I think, I mean, he literally means what he's telling him. He's like, Timothy, you need to drink some wine. And again, sometimes, right, I've heard scholars say like, well, it's just because they needed to purify the water and that's why you're sick. I don't think that's why he was sick at all. I think the reason he was sick was because he was letting the pressure of leadership affect him physically. Right, and Paul was telling, telling him, he's like, Timothy, step up and leave, but you also need to relax. And as we think about this, right, we see all of this, again, that, that he needs to step up and lead well in the things that he sees. Okay, but then the other side of that, right, is, is he also needs to trust God with what he can't see. Lead well with everything you see, but then trust God with the things that you can't see. And we see him address this in verses 24 and 25, right? When he says, remember the sins of people. Some people are obvious, right? And this leads them to certain judgment, but there are others whose sins will not be revealed until later. He's like, Timothy, there's stuff going on that you don't know about. But just trust God with that. But again, but he also points out the other side of that. He's like, but Timothy, there's also some good things that are obviously going on, and there's also some good things that you don't know about. And that's okay too. Just lead well in the things that you see and trust God in the things that you can't see. Again, because the reality is there are a lot that happens within the church. There's a lot that happens within Oregon Trail that I don't know about. And again, that, that's a good thing because there are many impactful things that are being done by people in our church right, that, that I don't know about and I don't need to be involved in because this, the mission of this church is way bigger than me. Right? And if we're truly living out God's word and doing everything that's decided, right, is that there should be lots of great things happening by people in this church that I am not involved in and that I don't know about. And I believe that that's true. But the, the, the opposite is also true. Right? That there are things in this happening even in our church that I don't know about that are not good. Right? The sins of some are obvious and the sins of others aren't. Right? Things, again, 
saving people's lives, when the rumor mill starts going, right? when those things happen right, that I don't know about, but e- even, even then, it needs to be way bigger than me because the, realize, the thing, again, that God continues to tell me over and over again, Brian, it's not your church. Right? It's God's church. And God does know what's happening. And I trust the God that I serve to say, you know what, I'm going to lead well in the things I see. And I'm going to trust God for the things I don't. Because it's his church. And he does know everything. And I trust him. And we see here this last section. Again, we've included these first couple verses of chapter 6. Again, he addresses slaves and their masters here. I believe he does this because, again, he's addressing the household structure. Right? And, and slaves were a normal part of their household structure and their culture. Now, this, this, once again, is about respect. It's no matter what your role is. Again, I don't believe he's addressing anything about race or injustice in this passage. Right? But again, he's just briefly mentioning it to say that, that, that how you treat people matter, no matter what role you're in. And, and when we realize this, again, I feel like just that this entire chapter, right, can be summed up very well from these two verses out of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. It says, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, right? That's the church, isn't it? We're surrounded by this crowd of witnesses to the life of faith. Let us strip out every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. And we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. What, is, what might be slowing us down? What might be slowing us down as a church? What might be slowing you down in your own faith journey? Right? And again, it, it, we need to strip it off. We need to get rid of it. We need to address it. Right? And it starts with keeping our eyes on Jesus. Because core value number one is that Jesus is the destination of our journey. And that needs to always be true. Whether it's good things or whether it's bad things. Again, what might be slowing us down as a church? What might be slowing down your own faith journey? We need to address it and we need to shed it and get rid of it. So that we keep our focus on Jesus and we truly will be disciples that help make other disciples. And that that not just our church, but just the church as a whole can be the true pillar and foundation of truth in our world. Which brings me to my final thought this morning, and that is this. Church structure is important for many reasons. Not just for respectful treatment within the church, but also for the unbelieving world that is watching. How does God need your leadership to further his kingdom? Like I said, I don't know where you're at in your faith journey today. Maybe you're here today and you've never received Christ as your Savior. Or you've never started that journey of faith. And if that's where you are, then, then I hope that you would pray and accept him in your life. Hey, maybe you're just starting out your journey and you're still in that consumed part and you're just attending or just getting into a small group or just starting journey classes. And if that's where you are, that's great. This message probably really wasn't for you. Right? But especially for those that have a more mature faith, what's slowing down your journey? What is God asking you to do that you need to step up and do? Hey, where does God need your leadership? Because he needs it or else he wouldn't have made you the way that you are. 
and put you where you are? Will we be faithful to what God is asking us to do? I sure hope we will. Lord God, we come to you this morning, God, and we admit we need you to survive. That we need your spirit. That we need your presence. We need your guidance. And Lord, we know that again, you, Lord, have raised up the church because we also need each other. And God, I pray, Lord, that, that we can be truly be your church. God, I pray that we would be obedient to your spirit. God, no matter what we do, Lord, we know that we bring you glory. And God, I pray that that each one of our lives, God, can be a a shining light in this community, in this world, even in our own families, God. Lord, I pray that as we go this week, Lord, that we would truly be your church. God, we would pursue you in our own faith. God, that we would help our brothers and sisters in Christ. And God, that we can truly make an impact in this community, Lord, that so desperately needs you. God, as we go today, I pray, Lord, that we would leave empowered with your spirit. God, filled with your presence. God, and ready to take new ground for your kingdom every day. Lord, we love you. We need you. And we thank you for being with us. Lord, guide us as we go today. Lord, as we live out our faith and truly journey to you. We love you. We praise you. Guide us as we go in Jesus' name. Amen.